Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white, but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness Podcast. I want to introduce to you my guest for today is Dean Brewington. He is an artist creative born in Minnesota. He currently resides in California, however, has spent a decade in Seattle, Washington, and continues to travel frequently. Dean is working on several exper experimental music collaborations this year, along with a few other creative ventures. He's determined to live as balanced as possible while welcoming in new experiences and tending to his creative pool. Say yes is his motto when traveling and is now making a conscious decision to apply that in day-to-day -day living. You can follow him at indievisual underscore visual dot one, and it's in the show notes. I want to welcome you to the podcast, Everyday Whiteness. Dane Bruins, hey, hey. thank you for being here with me. For having me. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. We know each other since uh, high school. Yeah. Yeah. And your creative uh, vision and your brilliance and just all the things that you do in the world from your vantage point, I reached out to you because your voice means a lot to me and to add it to this conversation um, matters too. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I like to start off the podcast just by asking every guest, what is everyday, uh, what is well-meaning, air quotes, well-meaning white white people mean for you in the context of, of who you are? That is so tough, right? To be honest, you know, the term in itself is, it's hard, you know, because it seems like just another pass, you know, to be honest, for like, we, you know, having to affirm whiteness, you know what I'm saying? Um, so the, the title's problematic a little bit, um, but I believe, I in and, and, and my heart of hearts, I believe that most people, you know, um, have decent intentions. So, you know, I try to, I try to look at that first, um, white, black, or, or other, um, but in dealing with white people day to day, um, you kind of have to have a little extra grace. Um, so, you know, that's where it starts. 
Yeah, I want to pause on that. So the the extra grace and even where the title itself kind of cushions right. the white person, right? That, In and exactly. of itself. So the setup yeah. really is to soften the blow for, for white people, which in and of itself, what I'm hearing is like a metallic kind of vitriol inside you and yeah, because of the historic personally, but also the historical nature of having to do that, not just historically, but present day. Right, exactly. Exactly. It, you know, and that's just kind of where it's, that's where it starts. It's a, it's a day-to-day, you know, minute-to-minute interaction. And it begins off just having to cushion. So. Having to what? To cushion, like you said, cushion off in the blow. So that's the, you know, the, the, the day-to-day interaction has to, it always starts there. You know what I mean? It's always there, meaning your agency is always adapting to be able to make it cushionable for that right. white body system, white body person, what whatever interaction that you're finding right. yourself having to navigate. Right, right. I also want to just thank you for naming that the title itself that I'm bringing forth, you know, is problematic um, because the languaging is even some of, um, you know, the intentions I've brought forth, you know, it, it makes me realize just how much... Um, softening of the blow of of kind of the this whole concept around fragility and how much white people haven't had to deal day to day with adjusting themselves in any capacity so to even have the concept of it show up ends up becoming this big thing which then the languaging that I'm using to bring forth the podcast is highlighting kind of that well we're well-meaning like we're this we're for the cause you know right. and, and yet that there's a lot of interactions that we don't see you adjusting you as a black bodied person or some other people. We don't see that because we're taught not to see that as white right. bodies. Right. So I'm wondering if you just tell us about yourself, like tell it, like I read your bio and I, you know, I've never learned all these things about you in terms of what I read about your bio, but I know little bits, you grew up in Minnesota and then Seattle and you know, right. your creative music. Um, but I'm curious because from, from what I do know, you've grown up in a lot of white spaces and navigated a lot of white space. And it's not that a lot of Black people haven't, but I'm just curious if you want to just tap into your lived experience, not an analyzation of those experiences, more sure. like interactions that illuminate all the cushioning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, Minnesota in itself, let's just start there. Um is a very white space um, altogether. To be to be very honest, um, I had the privilege of growing up in some of the hoods in Minnesota, and I and I do mean that as a privilege because it's you know when you grow up in a place like Minnesota, which is so predominantly white. In, in, in a lot of its spaces, um, to have neighborhoods and communities. You know, when I was young, it, it, this was kind of before gang violence and shit started really cracking. So these were our neighborhoods, you know, and they were, they were mixed neighborhoods. Um, and I would say predominantly black, poor neighborhoods, South Minneapolis. Um, so, Again, I say privilege because I got to grow up around, you know, people that were me, came from the same socioeconomic structure, um, 
and there was a real sense of community. We had to depend on our neighbors, white, black, or whatever. Like, you know, it was a thing, you know, but it wasn't not a part of our community. So if you were in our community, meaning poor, you are a part of the community. And we mm-hmm. talked, we talked about, you know, the, the differences between, uh, you know, the social economic boundaries and barriers and all that stuff. So we really didn't grow up with this like notion that we weren't different. We knew we were different. We were black. Uh, we lived amongst poor white folk, uh, so on and so on. But then to grow up further, um, you know, had a lot of amazing opportunities that a lot of people in in my neighborhood didn't get to have. Um, I had spent some time in suburban schools, which then was like, showed you just like how close white spaces are, Mm -hmm. you know, opened up like the reality to uh, Minnesota in itself. And these weren't always friendly places. Most of the time they weren't towards Black and, and, and others. Um, but, you know, as, as went through, you know, junior high and, and high school where, you know, where you and I met, um, you know, we had the fortune of being in a, in a super diverse community, I, I believe, at that, at that period in time. Um, but I was also around predominantly black kids, intellectuals, creatives, you know, so just from my personal experience, um, I was in white spaces, a lot of white spaces. And I, I mean, if you want to be black successful at any, in, you know, however you view that you're going to be in predominantly white spaces, especially in a place like Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a part of your growth and development and mm-hmm. interacting in the world, especially when those structures and systems are set up by white people for them to right. be white spaces. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what you're talking about, about what I hear you saying is you were in this inner city community, South Minneapolis, whatever. And then when you had an opportunity to say, get out and maybe like, I don't know what the opportunity was, but when you're going to a, like a, a school, there might be a, a magnet arts focus. So there might be, so there was like busing of kids from inner city into suburban schools. Right, this concept. Right. So there's a lot of history to this, right? One is the white flight kind of like, if you look historically and you want to understand kind of how segregation happened in terms of schooling and populations and areas that are taxed and and dollars that are funding schools, you can see how these metropolitan areas, right, grew. And then as migration was happening, and then the white flight were redlining and all of these systemic structures were set up for there not to be that same diversity in these suburban areas. It was designed that way. And so then they were like letting the opportunity to go and to these special schools and have more opportunities to be outside of the city environment or whatever. Right. Um, I don't know how that played out in, in your everyday life. I, I know that what's interesting about Minneapolis or, or the Minnesota in general is you're saying it's very white and it's considered to be very liberal, very progressive. And so I really right. want to unpack that a little bit because right. that's a part of 
why I'm naming this podcast what it is and wanting to lean into what's tough about talking about it is the training to not talk about it or point it out is so thick and rightfully so because it's rooted in historical survival, right? But talking about the thing we all know is happening kind of like, yeah, this progressive, like I'm for the cause, right? And those same systems are played out that same in Minnesota, that white, uh, I say whiteness, the niceness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, Minnesota nice. Well, yeah, it's Minnesota whiteness. Minnesota whiteness, right. It was a slip, but it wasn't. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's real. Well, um, I'm I'm curious about the experiences that you might want to share today. Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 kind of bizarre just because it's so like day to day you right like <laughs> to to have to like stop and like pinpoint some things is a little difficult because it's it's just so constant like it's so every day it's such a part of the like routine of like okay getting up you know, you do your, your your own mental check, your physical check and all of the things and like understand that like I'm stepping in, I got to go step into the world, you know what I mean? And being, you know, speaking specifically for myself, being a black man, knowing what that means, it's like you got to put on armor every day. Um, and every interaction with white folks is a power dynamic. Um, every interaction is you're you're constantly having to like sort of like put put certain things in check and be like, okay, da da da. da. Um, so again, just I guess long answer is it's 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 tough to sort of pinpoint because it's so constant. Um, I would say that, you know, I've recently moved to California. I've been here about two years now. Um, And it's just a different level, you know. Uh, I lived in California at one point before I lived in LA for a while. And that's just sort of like this bizarre thing. And I was was only there a year and I was like, okay, more observer than like actually living there is what it felt like. Um, Now living here, it's just, it's so bizarre because you're, you're just, you're like, you're still dealing with a lot of whiteness and then you're dealing with like, you know, the money thing here is huge, you know, it's just like, it's basically the have and have nots, you know, more or less at this point. Um, And, you know, coming from, you know, I was in Minnesota the last 10 years or whatever. And it's kind of hard not to uh, compare the type of white folks, you know, which is a thing. I would love to hear that. You know, like what kind of white folks are we dealing with now? And again, it it does go back to that, some of that progressive liberal thought process or whatever it is. I can't even define it. It's so bizarre to me. But again, it's, it's way more um, out here in California. The type of white folk is 
there's this sort of nonchalant attitude towards social education, social inclusion, social dynamic. It's this real sort of like, we have money, we do for us, we do for our families, we do for those that we're connected to, and then like, and sort of like this bubble, and that's kind of like it. So there's, you know, day-to-day conversations, which I will give some credit to Minnesota, but it also kind of speaks to your your other point, is that, you know, day-to-day you'll have conversations with white folks. Um, and typically they want to dig a little bit deeper. They want to talk about political things or social things, or, you know, even if it's surface and just white lens, there's a conversation like, sort of wanting to be had where like out here my experience like there's there's very little of that everything else is more like no nah, let's chill we take it easy aren't you lucky to be that's the slogan here in Santa Barbara aren't you aren't we just so lucky to be here and I'm like if that's the whitest shit I've ever heard I like that's the whitest shit I've ever heard who says that um we're so aren't, lucky to be here. Aren't we lucky to be here? Aren't we lucky to be here? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I literally, like, I have to shake my head. I give the fakest ass smile ever. And I'm like, yeah, okay. It, it, it's just, it's just the craziest shit I've ever, but that's, that's like a real thing. Like every day, was, where do you live? Oh, I live in Santa Barbara. Oh my God, aren't you so lucky to be here? And I'm just like, yeah, I guess like this is <laughs> this is our earth, but sure. You know, it's just crazy. So, anyways, yeah, it that's sort of the attitude is is like, oh, we don't really want to deal with any of the 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 actual things that are going on because we just live in this beautiful, you know, environment. And all who are able to be here in whatever way you can should be lucky that you can share this space with us is really what's kind of being said. So it's bizarre. It is. It's, it's bizarre in this, um, like the, how you pointed out this phrase that aren't we lucky to be here as the whitest shit ever. And it just reminded me of like colonialist slogan, you know, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much like kind of the discovery and like, Aren't yeah. we lucky, you know, and, and the other thing I wanted to point out that I found was so interesting of what you said is they help, right, their, their family, you know, their, you know, the, the layers of kind of, of the help, right, of, of like, right. and, and the cause they stand for, right, and let's, right. so the, right. the cause, but that kind of checks the box of the benevolence and of Pretty the much. progress to be able to call yeah. themselves um for cause or something right and then it just stays within that container of but n- nothing in terms of everyday interactions offering humanity a sense of no. seeing and hearing those You're around right. you it's kind of more like welcome to the island that we founded right that's totally what it feels like you're just like <laughs> Christopher Columbus just landed in this bitch. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) It's also funny for you to refer to the, what type of white person am I dealing with? 
And I know that that's a type of conversation that's got to happen among black folks and, and other yeah. people of color that you Absolutely. wouldn't bring up with white people because A, it's, you know, it could be considered rude and then B, they might not get it. You know, somebody right. would have to like really be from a, a, a community and another group for them totally. to be getting that conversation. Right. But I right. wonder if you'll speak to it a little bit because that's half of the battle, I think, in, in this piercing of the veil is like, can you say the thing that you wouldn't normally say <laughs> in the presence of white folk? Right, right. Because it's not worth the effort that you're going to have to go through oh. in that interaction, right? right. So, exactly. but you can totally refer to that in black spaces and everybody just nods. You can do a look and everybody right. would understand. It's, everybody knows what time it is. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because it's, I mean, that's just how regular it is. You know what I mean? I, 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 I don't know if there's, I'm, I'm sure there's a better word, but just the regularity of this interaction having to determine, you know, what I'm dealing with, what kind of X, Y, Z am I dealing with? Like, it's just, it's day to day. So, um. Yeah, that's why in black spaces, it's just like, you know, what was your experience today? What kind of way for, oh, it's, oh, 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 okay. So that's what you had to deal with, you know. I mean, got it. And you get it because you've had to deal with it at some at some point um, along, along the day-to-day journey. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I I mean... I'm going to try to coax these out of you, Dean, just because yeah, I yeah, really yeah. appreciate you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. One thing I want to ask about, because I've been watching and learning myself, and I learned a terminology that I wouldn't have known before. Now, I've known that it exists. I right. could have a friend that can have a white voice sounding friend, a white voice when he needs to have a white voice, and then he can go back yeah, to his oh, regular yeah. voice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I've learned that that's called code switching. So I'm wondering if you could talk to that because I know that you could give us a demonstration of those voices today. <laughs> oh, so easy. It's just like you get on the phone and you're like, hi, this is Dean Brewington. Um, yes, I'm calling because X, Y, and Z, you know, da, 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 hit me back earlier. And I was just wondering if we needed to X, Y, and Z, da, 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 da. And you throw it on like it's easy talking to banks uh you know um anything illegal uh you know anything that sort of is within uh you know government legal you know professional vibes you have to go ahead and hit off your your voice and clearly when you talk to your people like it's just not like that at all like you 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 speak in slang. You speak in you know, uh, just you know, even personal jokes. Um, and then there's things that you just don't have to say. It's either a sound or a, you know, a, a gesture that sort of communicates kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to you have to switch up because you're judged off of the tone of your voice off of you know your vocabulary uh you judged off of uh mannerisms uh you know the whole uh, black aggression like are you you know are you 
physically threatening or feel intimidating in any sort of way. So these are all all aspects of just day-to-day communication with white folks that, you know, we've had to code switch to in the order to to get any further in any aspect of life. Yeah, and, and I want to point out that in what you're saying is that it's so common and it's so much a part of like the survival mechanism of adaptation that you do it when you are in certain spaces where you know that this is the way this could needs to get like if you've learned that oh i can get it if i sound like this in this space and this is what will happen if i sound like this or whether it's a name you know um all the, the ways that black bodies are are organized and, and compartmentalized to fit certain things if you're not meeting the standard over here called whiteness. Exactly, exactly. And the crazy part about it is that you learn that not only from black folks, but white folks as well. So like you learn it from your black parents and grandmothers or whatever family, because they're like, boom, this is how you got to you know, if you want to sort of deal in this world or get through this world or ahead, you have to present this way. But it's also very clear when you deal with white folks that they expect you to do that off cuff. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, Mm -hmm. even if you meet, uh, uh, let's say you meet a white person at school or whatever, you know, their sort of um, more or less leading you how to deal socially in order to function in that space. You've already learned this from your folks to one degree, but like white folks are constantly saying like, okay, if you want to deal with me socially this is how you'll have to interact so it's kind of a combo thing you know you learn it from your uh the survival from your peoples but then you know it's constantly like right out in front of you as soon as you interact socially in any platform Mm -hmm. so it's this sort of like dual thing and and how do you experience say the difference of say growing up and experiencing this in Minnesota and say present day in terms of like people being more aware or awake, like, like, you know, like I think people, I think there's this kind of self-identification that white people are thinking they're becoming more aware. And yet what I'm hearing you is like, nah, y'all, this is everywhere. It's still everywhere. I can't get away from everywhere. I turn when I breathe in public and like, and, and there's, so I'm just wondering if you could yeah. go there. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, I think that in the past couple of years, um, you know, the whole George Floyd thing and and all of the other things that had transpired, you know, particularly with like police brutality and da 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 da, which has been going on forever. Anyway, you know, I know you know, so we don't even need to go on that tangent, but it's, it was it's weird to observe white folks think that they are doing something consciously and we're making a concerted effort as white folk to 
understand, to be better, to um, ally, you know, those kind of things. Like, and then, and, you know, myself and all of the homies, like we talk about it often. It's like, we knew that it was just going to be a thing while it's hot. And then months later, a year later, it's back to the same old, same old. So I don't see very many white folks sort of even in the same brain space as a year or two ago, you know, now it's, it's kind of like, well, we know we have to deal with these things at some point, but we'd rather, you know, let's deal with immigration. Let's deal with, let's deal with the violence on Asians. Let's deal with the violence on like, okay, all of that is good, but we didn't finish the black, the violence <laughs> on black conversation yet. Like we didn't even get, you know, we, we still need to like, can we, you know, so it's all this cover up shit is how I see it. You know, it's just like, Oh, as long as there's a sort of a social agenda, to some degree, then it feels like, oh, we're doing something. But you're like, you know, for me, I'm like, the black agenda still was not, we're, we're not addressing that again or any longer. Um, so there was like a little, you know, like a little moment here where it was like, okay, white folks look like they are ready to like deal, you know, a scotch. Um, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, I mean, a part of me like bottles up, like I can feel my whole stomach and my like my intestines just squeeze in in the deeply offensive nature of having to watch that. Like as you said, me and the homies, we talked about it, like to to be in a black bodies and to watch what people have like a smidgen of awareness awakening, and then right. as if as if you know, buy some books you know, join a few maybe anti-racist right. causes, but not know where to go with it because where you go with it is not to do anything. It's to dis right. it's to unravel and feel the weight of just right. how permeating this stuff is everywhere. And so if white people right. were really doing that, there would be an, a causation of dismantling in their own psyches, right? Right, right. And it pains me to to hear what you say, because that's what I feel when I'm hearing some like white people. I'll post different things and and well-meaning white people will be like, oh, that's right. so bad. Oh, that's right. so horrible. Right. What are they thinking? Right. And, and I mean, OK, good. I'm glad you're at least paying attention and reading the post. But. Oh. But then what? Or also just the statement itself, like that's horrible. Yeah, 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 it is. Horrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. and 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 where is the next phases of like what do I do? And and I think that becomes kind of the anti-racist rally call. What do I do? Right. And I, I'm curious if you had white friends because I'm sure you have other white friends besides me. And and I'm quite a cultural other. I haven't ever really fit into like a normal right. white group. But that in and of itself is a problem, which is why I'm doing this podcast because right. I grew up so culturally othered that I didn't really identify with whiteness and I didn't right. necessarily notice it happening all around me and me doing it unconsciously. 
You know, right. even right. if I right. think I'm I'm being culturally sensitive and aware, I might be actively doing things that I'm unaware of because I haven't taken the time to educate, to learn, to read history, to really understand the black experience as a part of my experience intertwined. It's not like this segment of history that's removed from my white right. consciousness, which is kind of how it's been delivered to us, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I'm just not sure where to, where, where to, where to go. Cause <laughs> how about, did you have white people come to you and be like, what can I do to help? Yeah. Yeah. In the, how does that make you the, feel? I, I'll say, I'll, Are there I'll different types the of asks? Yeah, okay. In the beginning, you know, like when, when shit was cracking a couple years ago, you know, and there was a lot of white folks like, you know, what, what can I do? What should I do? How can I be? And, you know, to be honest, my answer was like, that's not even really up for me to answer. Like, again, like that's, that in itself is problematic. Like this it's isn't so my issue. This it's is so not my issue. So like, are you willing to hear and and deal with the fact that you know a lot of the a lot of your approach is just offensive like are you willing to even look at that like let's just start there um i can't make you feel comfortable anymore like that is trash i'm over it i don't want to do that shit anymore Cause that's a way on my psyche and I'm sitting here trying to have to make you feel better about some shit you need to deal with. Um, so that's more or less how I answer the question. Like, to be honest, it's like, I, I can't help you. It's not my issue. Like you need to talk to your white friends actually about it. That, that, and, and if I have any advice, that's kind of what it would be is like get together with a group of white folks and dismantle your own shit amongst yourselves because that's where the issue is. Like you reside in these uh, these communities and these bubbles and you, you actually don't have to interact with people of color at all if you don't want to day to day, you know, unless it's in service or help. Um, and then the rest of your life is white as hell. Like that's what you, so, you know, if you want to do something, get together with your white friends and figure out what y'all can do and, and who's going to commit to it, who's going to do the hard work and, and, and you, you know, show up at the rallies. That's all appreciated. Show up at the, you know what I mean? Um, lend your voice, all of the things, but like, don't do it because like you feel good about doing something for my experience do it because you need to change more than anything is that like white folks have a, a a space they can retreat back to and not deal with the rest of the world nobody else has that luxury mm. Mm. so that to me is part of the problem is that you can stay in this world and that's it you know, the rest of us can't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So well said. So well said. The the point of not being able, not having to, a white person can navigate their life and never have to interact with black people and and to to 
to that in of itself is problematic, but that's the privilege in and of itself. That's the design. And exactly. it also reminds me of Resma Menicum's book, My Grandmother's Hands, where he talks about the um, the importance of white people coming together in white spaces to dismantle whiteness within and amongst themselves, that this is so yeah. important that we register that to unpack a lot of this historical stuff has nothing to do with helping black people. It has right. to do with helping your bodies of culture start to have your own culture. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, uh, ding, check, check, check. <laughs> you know, because he was yeah. like, white people, white people don't have culture outside of rooted in hate or extraction of other people's culture. Right, now, exactly. That's not actually true because if we trace back our own stories and do our own work, we can find our historical culture, but that's our work, right? We don't right. get to inhabit these like white spaces and yet we do, right? And then think that the cause is helping communities of color, helping communities of black people because then and of itself, the intent is wrong. You're missing the whole dismantle. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's the question you're asking yourself, right? So it's like, they come, well, Dean, what do I do? It's like, I guess you could ask yourself, what do you do? But that might not be the best question. It might be, how am I? How am I? And how do I create, how is my impact on people just in my presence of being? Right. Is the yeah. question coming out of my mouth offensive and I may not even realize it's offensive? Is my right. demeanor, is my tone? Yeah. Is the I, expectation I, of your body, Do am I unconsciously expecting this person to cater to my needs? Starting to unpack much. these things because right. we know that's what, what, these, what it means that you're adapting to white people. Like that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing like- Yeah such an unconscious awareness of like expectation of what you're, what you need to do on my behalf. And I don't have to say that, but I can in tonality and body language and in interaction with you communicate that. Right. Yeah. And that's, you. Yeah, I mean, and that, that is the interaction, you know, and, and it takes, uh, you know, it takes conversation to be able to even, get people to like oh shit I didn't realize oh, oh you know and so like and I'm down for conversation you know what I mean like I'm always down for like conversation but I'm not I'm not down to be like nice about it any longer you know I don't want to be rude I don't want to be disrespectful um but like again I can't cater you know, if we're going to have a conversation, some of your sensitivity is going to have, you're going to have to just deal with that and figure out what, you know, what it is you need to do to be able to have a real conversation. Um, and, and I'm okay with, um, even I would rather somebody speak to me with a little bit of offensive language if their intent is like not to offend and we can clean that up and figure that shit out later, you know, or through the discussion versus like trying to be sensitive to every aspect of, you know, this huge, huge issue. You know what I mean? It's like, somebody's going to get offended. Like, 
there's just no way around that. That's we're at that point where you just are going to have to hear and deal with some things. Um, I'm open to have hard conversation. Let's try and keep this as respectful as possible. But you you're don't get be to offended. do X and X. Yeah, yeah you don't get to do these things a, anymore. Like, sorry, like nah, we're not we're not having that shit. So that's just kind of what it is, and. You know, to that point, I feel like a lot of white folks have really backed up because they're like, oh, shit, we got to deal with this like harder, harder thing, not just, you know, shirts and and signs. You know what I'm saying? So the real conversations are not fun and they're not they don't feel good. They're not going to feel good. And it's not meant for you to feel good. It's not meant, comfortable. It's yeah, meant this to be is not what it's about. So it's, yeah, it's meant to unravel a pattern of behavior that is not an one to continue, right? There has to be a disruption. Yeah. Uh, so I really like what you're saying in that, like, I ain't doing this no more. Like, no, I ain't explaining it. And I ain't explain it in a nice way. And I'm not going to be the source of your feeling yeah. co comfortable going the through shit black, that's the, designed. The one black guy you're comfortable with having it. Like, I'm not, I'm not that dude any longer, you know? So was there a shift for you? Was there a time in your life where you recognized like, oh, shoot, like I cater, I'm doing this all the time. And I'm no like, it's like a part of a, your own self of identity claiming or of sorts. Yeah, I mean, yes, you know, I, you know, by, by, by trade, you know, what I do, I deal with a lot of white women all day. You That's know. why. What do you do by trade? Uh, I'm a hairstylist by trade. Thank you. Um, and and I love I love my job. I love the industry. Uh, you know, I still have, you know, crazy passion and, and enjoy what I do. Um, and I do like serving people like I like connecting with people. That's part of that's a big part of the job. Um, but in order to make money, you have to sort of surround yourself in white spaces to to for different direction i won't say just to make money because you can make money in all spaces but the type of money is different and so i've chosen a path to work in you know uh, more corporate situations at at points in my in my career i'm i'm independent now i work for myself predominantly but that clientele is white women a lot of it you know um and so i'm hearing i hear conversations all day you know about the white female experience their you know their social circles um literally what they kind of think and feel day to day i'm in a in a in a position where when you're in that kind of space, people let down their guard, you know, and, and some of the social norms outside of, you know, the salon space, it, it happens in that space. So I'm privy to a lot of shit, you know, and it gives me tremendous insight, you know, uh, honestly, it gives me tremendous insight into white communities, particularly white women, um with the, the who are affluent um and it's that shit is it's a different vibe you know um and they trust me with 
some of their secrets and they feel safe to talk to me, uh, you know, about things that they probably have no other black friends in their lives to, to even ask these kind of questions. Um, and, and I, and I, and I, and I don't take it like, I'm not offended that this would happen. Cause again, I know that this is how it goes. Um, but there has been a cutoff and just being like, mm, you know, this is a safe space, but this is also my space. Like this is, you know, you, you're, you're in my like space. So I work here. I'm, you know, I'm hooking you up. We're creating a relationship. Um, and so it's important that you know that like, mm, you know, how many black friends do you have? How many, you know, when was your last interaction with black folks other than your hairstyles? When was, you know, and these are, these are real. So to answer your question, that's what's sort of like in my day to day, I've been doing this a long time and there, there came a point, I would say definitely in the past few years where I'm just like, you know, this is, you know, even professionally, like I've had to learn to just be like, hmm, you know, that's. It's not something I can help you with, um, but take a look at, you know, take a look at the community in which you surround yourself in and uh, let's start there. You know, if you're surrounded by all white folks, how are you going to, you know what I mean? Like you're not even stepping into another situation to learn, to feel, to interact, you know, and, you know, going to the, the, the parade of this, you know, Latin American days or whatever the hell it is, does not constitute as you going and getting your culture on, you know, but that's how it, that's how it rolls. So, you know, I've, I have cut it off. I've been very, you know, respectful. But I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that person for you. You got to do your own work. We can have the conversation, you know, and we're building a relationship client and, you know, service provider. And, and I appreciate and, and honor that. But, you know, you have to have some boundaries. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say, the boundaries. Like, I just find the, the, the importance of, of, where black people are starting to create boundaries in their own space and be like, nah, nope. And, and it's always been that way, but that now more than ever, it's kind of like, no, we're not participating in that work that out, you know? And, and personally, I experienced that as like a a form of the process of self-reclaiming, right. Of self, of, of, of self-respect. It's like reclaiming what you once took and I'm going to take it back. And I'm going to say, no, you don't actually have the right to do that. I know I'm good. I don't need that. You know? And from, as a trauma survivor, it's very similar. It's like, it's being able to recognize the abuse taking place in an interaction and say, Oh, no, I can be your service provider, but I don't have to be saying yes to all these other things just right. because you've added it on that this is a special space for you to <laughs> yeah. do whatever you need to do, you know, and, and the distinction that, wow, you can still be a professional, you're a human, you're a black man, you're a, you know, and they might be conflating all these and making you all these things, but you don't have to do that. You can say no, right. uh-uh. 
So that's one thing as a professional, but doing that in everyday life, like just starting to choose that a part of what I'm experiencing in this conversation with you is kind of the non-interest to even point out all the ways that white people need to start knowing the shit. Like, nah, y'all go ahead and work that out. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm telling you yeah. right now, everything you do is fucking harmful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear, dude. You know, I mean, if you're not aware of it, if you're really not aware, like, yeah, that 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 becomes the fact. You know what I mean? And. That's that. And it, doesn't, you know. and it doesn't need to be sugar-coated. It doesn't need yeah. icing. It doesn't need yeah. a fucking cherry on top. It yeah. needs to be felt. It needs to be felt. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've gotten to a place where, you know, I have very few white friends anymore and by design, you know, and it's, it's, it's real. And it's just like, you know, it doesn't matter how cool you are. It doesn't matter, you know, I mean, the people that I've rolled with forever, we already, you know, we've always been on the length, on the wavelength. So it's not like, you know, those people, my white friends that have known what's up, we've had, we've been having these discussions ever since we've known each other, you know, but like new, new white folks or, or associates and, like that, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm good. Like, that's not, that's not my community. That's not, I don't, I don't want to participate in any of that. And I definitely don't want to deal with the shit. So, you know, it becomes well, a conscious in, decision. Yeah, in, and you're in, like, ah. in, in, if interactions, what I heard you say earlier on, and that kind of sums up what you're saying now is that if, if you can't be yourself, in an interaction with another human who happens right. to be another culture, then you're just not going to do that. Because if, if there is this unconscious built in expectation, right. In right. And so to, 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 to grow up and you, you, as we adult and we start having more of our sense of self, I hear you just saying, yeah, you know, I'm not talking about the old friends. I'm just talking about like active new friends that are fostering. I, I'm not doing that with white folks. That's not something yeah. I even, it's yeah. not, not even coming into my orbit is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, it's just like, ah, nah. And then again, I'm open to new relationships, but it has to be with, like, we have to be there and wanting, otherwise it's not worth time or, or space, mm -hmm. you know? Have you noticed um, kind of in, in the great white awakening of folks over the last couple of years, have you noticed more white people wanting to befriend you? Again, I would say there was a little window, little window where, where folks were, were wanting, but then again, it, be, it becomes like, it seems like it becomes like too much work or like too much uncomfort. So then that sort of just dies off and it goes back to its former self, you know, it's like, Again, that retreat, you can retreat to, to white space all the time. So that's typically what happens. You know, I think about, you know, the, 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 uh, the riots back in the day after Rodney King, you know, we were in high school for that shit. Uh, I think about 
these different periods in time where there was like real racial tension just in my lifetime or in our lifetime. And this is the thing that seems to always happen is this like, oh, there's this awareness while, while shit is burning. And then a year or two later, everybody's sort of like back in their corners until the next jump off, you know? Um, so that's kind of where it feels like for me is that like most of the white people I, I interact with now are kind of like just kind of retreated back to their corner. They're a little more aware when they say like stupid ass shit, but like that's about it, you know, it's, but it's got to be just like so like ignorant that everybody's like, you know, wow. that's just ignorant as fuck. But other than that, you know, and, and again, like it's it's different in California because I would definitely say people are just way more out of touch. And I don't, you know, obviously I'm generalizing, but the type of white folk here is just, I mean, Extra. I hear some of the shit they say about homeless folks and this and that. And I'm just like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? But, you know, when I'm back in Minnesota, there's definitely a more political, social consciousness there. It doesn't so, mean so like grassroots, right? A little more grassroots ish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, grassroots, you know, folks are folks are a little more, you know, on that tip there. Um, so the conversations are, are, are a bit different uh, and. and they do feel better to have, you know, just from my experience, I'm like, I would rather speak with somebody that's, you know, at least trying to get dirty um, than, than folks that have no concern to get dirty. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're talking about the difference is like yeah. someone that is, is willing to like kind of add themselves into a conversation, get it wrong and kind of like go, lean right. into some of the issues and not necessarily do it right. And, and, possibly even be really offensive but willing to be there and stay present to the yeah. improvement of that and and whether or not that's the case there might be still more of a level of fragility of a lot of white folks in minnesota too in that oh, they placate the the surface of wanting to do that but when it actually yeah. comes to getting uncomfortable looking at their own finances and and looking at the allocation of resources based on the misallocation of resources historically, like if you really start to unpack the historical lens of this, you start to realize, wow, I have a lot of resources that don't belong to me. And this is because the systems and structures were built this way. And right. you can't help but have a better conversation if you really start dismantling. You also can't help but be totally wrecked. Like, right, right, right. Like there's, a, at least that's my experience. And I, I want to throw in the Minnesota Thing because I came from Phoenix, which is kind of West Coasty, right? California-ish, like you're pointing out. And then I moved to Minnesota, and I moved to Minnesota at 15 for high school. So we we're talking about 1992, folks, right? Um, mm -hmm. When we went to high school together. And I'm bringing it up because the high school we went to, you had mentioned, was quite culturally diverse, right? But it it was yeah. in a traditionally black community. Yeah, and what's absolutely. really important to understand about the way schools and and even just all really all metropolitan areas were somewhat like this it is because you can track it. These are all parts of urban policy, right? Right. Is 
schools, right, were quite segregated, right? So this school happened to be in the Black community. It was very much known as the Black school. And then there were other schools, like my dad went to Johnson. And, yeah, you know, yeah, there was yeah. White Bear Lake. You know, right? There's all these other suburban okay. ones. Yeah, yeah. So I moved to Minnesota, and my deal was I wasn't going to end up on a farm school with my dad because right. my dad's getting all into farming. And so I'm like, I want to be in the school in the city. So we find right. St. Paul Central. And I, the reason I'm pointing this out is my dad's family is from Minnesota. Gotcha. And this kind of language kind of sums up this, not the progressive that thinks they're doing the anti-racist agenda, but just the person that doesn't know that what they're saying is horrible. Right. And they're saying it. So my aunt literally says, when I say that we're going to go to St. Paul Central, she was like, oh, but that's okay. Because you'll be on the top floors. Wow. Uh, yeah. And wow. Yeah. And I know exactly what that means. Uh, I know exactly what that means. And I went to the school. I was on some of the top floors. So, you know, I get it. Yeah. The white floors. Yeah. Them shits. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an and that's, that was moment. the thinking. That, yeah. That was the thinking. That was the thinking in the day. And whether yeah. people said it or not, that was definitely right. the thinking. And my, you know, my aunt happened to say it, you know, and this is the thing is kind of like what Dean was pointing out about what white women will say in the spaces where guards are down and mm. things that come out of your mouth. And it's problematic. And and yet a, a black person at that point has to be like, hmm, am I going to lean into that? And the answer is usually like, right. No, I don't even feel no. like right now. <laughs> History has told me not to do that. Right, right. Um, but that's not really why I bring it up. I bring it up more to kind of illuminate kind of the all that wasn't said. She said you'll be on the top floors. But what wasn't said, and Dean and I can both attest to this, I had some classes on the top floors. I had some classes in the basement. You know, yeah. we took video production and theater in the basement. We took <laughs> international Eastern studies and, and some other right. mathematics class on the, on the upper floor. And what, but what she's speaking to is such a racialized system that I want us to get because black people get this. They don't need to hear this white people. We need to hear this because the system she's talking about is that the reason this school became flooded with more wealthy upper-class white people, let's call it what it is. OK, is because this school ended up having an international baccalaureate program and it became one of the best in the entire state. So it was well known at having advanced IB classes that, quote, prepared people for college. And I don't know the politics, but I have a feeling there was some sort of a movement. You know, again, Minnesota was very progressive in education, at least on the surface. So they were right. surfacely doing progressive educational movements around magnet programs and busing, you know, lower class people into other areas and busing, you know, uh, you know, upper class people into other areas, but it's always serving the white agenda. Let's not get this wrong. Right. So my aunt, to say this out loud, you know, she, she's literally coming from a place that she doesn't ever, ever interact with black people. You know, she hasn't ever had to. And so she spews what is the rhetoric that she's being fed and it's rooted in a perception of the Rondo community as not yeah, yeah. the brilliant community that yeah. it is, was, and before the freeway in went in, right. was really, really. Right. 
and I only started learning all that because I came to St. Paul Central and I realized I'm in the middle of a black community and, and I want to know something about this. Like what's going on? I got to start learning some of the richness of what it meant to have black migration and the communities that formed and what Dean spoke about earlier in this podcast around the community, you know, didn't matter what color. We just knew you were among the same class. You were the people and we were all helping each other out. Right. So there were black communities, but there could be other mixed people of different classes in certain spaces. And these things were also purposely broken up right, because right. when these black communities started to thrive and urban development started coming in, who gets impacted? Black, black communities, the poorest yeah. communities, you know? And so then for later in the nineties to have this school be touted as the most advanced school and all right. the white people come flying back in, that's why it was culturally diverse, right? It's like right. suddenly white people are safe that's to come to the black right. community. Right, right. Yeah, it used to have the like, I remember, I remember in junior high, that was like, everybody was afraid, you know, it was a black school and nobody wanted to go to, you know, and then come high school. And, you know, I had even, you know, I was, I didn't go to that school, you know, off a of freshman year, you know, I entered in my, I think I was junior year there. So all of the stereotypes I had heard about it, you know, I knew a couple folks over in the central area, but I was predominantly in Minneapolis at the time. Um, you hear shit, and then I got to the school, and I was like, "What? This shit is off the hook. Like, this is this is my community. This is my people. Like, this is where I need to be." You know, and even at that point, where there were more, you know, white kids being, you know, brought to bust into the school. Um, the 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 sense of blackness and culture and you know in that community and from the school and then it, it, of course I come to find out I know a bunch of people that went there and you know from church and this and that and whatever whatever um but you know I even had the same stereotype about it because that's all you hear and that's what you specifically hear from white folks is like oh you're going to central Ooh, be careful. Oh, you know, the love, uh, yeah. I was like, nah, I'm actually most of the other schools that I had gone to before I landed in Central were oof, no thanks. Give me Central all day. Um, so yeah, top floors, bottom floors. So, but that was really the thing. And that's crazy that, you know, to even reflect on it, because that was that was the deal. Yeah, and and you know, people would say, Liz, you know, all you have to do is go into a high school cafeteria and you can see the segregation. You know, it's like it's it's culturally and historically normal to seek out places of safety. And yeah. I had an earlier guest and the, the, they just challenged white people. Like, why do you always sit with the white people? Right. And I was like, what a great question. That's a beautiful question. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, like the, the misnomers, why do all the black kids sit together? Was, well, why right. do all the white kids sit together? You know? Right. <laughs> I love it. I thought that was so funny, but it, it's not funny at all. You right. know? It's, it's no, right. really no, it's going totally. back to what you're saying of you're forced to adapt. Everything is about black people adapting, adapt to this standard, adapt to this yeah. sound, adapt to this. And to get to a point in your life where it's just like, nah. I'm forming my individuality. I'm choosing me, right? Yeah. And 
coming from a, a, a religious spiritual abuse cult, I know what that feels like to claim myself from abuse, but to do that as a black person, when the structures and systems all around you is that form of abuse, every interaction right. is that form of abuse. Right. It takes such courage to start saying, nah, I'm not here for that one. Right. Go ahead and work that out on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Real big. And to name the thing for what it is, you know, and yeah. say, it, this isn't going to get, this isn't going to feel good because we haven't felt good forever. This stuff doesn't feel good. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the thing. That's not how it works. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about what we were just talking about with St. Paul real quick or, or St. Paul central is it's not just the stereotypes of that school. It's that real funds started to get allocated right to this school right, once right. it was deemed a program worthy of whiteness yeah let's talk about it right so it's not just that it had a bad you know it was in a black community that's what the truth was and then right. it wasn't getting real resources so any school underfunded isn't going to operate properly and right. then we'll have all the stigmas attached right and then right. so it's like by design the language is built in to do what you said it's like even i went to these other schools it's like you were doing what's in your best interest to try to get an education and right. get the educational resources and to make that a white or a black thing is a part of I think what makes this whole thing that much more exhaustive is right. it's a class Absolutely. thing. It's a, it's a oh. class thing. It's an economic resources thing and why we need to center and keep centering black people and not minority people, not all people of color is because right. black people is what this system is designed to eradicate. Right. right. And, if we keep messing it now, women are minorities. So suddenly right. white women just entered the same conversation that we're oh having about God. black people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what? I don't even, please don't. don't. Yeah. Like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we're pointing this out because essentially if you hear in what Dean's really saying, it's, it's so convoluted. I don't know where to begin. My mouth starts to just foam up in disgust when I want to point out one of the examples because it's a river of, of living examples that are unending. And, and so you're crafting your world of your bound safety, of creating new relationships and spreading from there as opposed to the space of constant adaptability that it sounds like you've done well, you know, um, throughout your life, like spanning and being the bridge of worlds and all the things and saying yeah i don't need to do all that i get to just be me and right. span into any bridge and that i choose but i'm not going to do that to make other people comfortable anymore right absolutely well as we wrap up and before we get to your song i just want to invite you to kind of be a little unadulterated and if you are talking to white folks right now and you wanted to tell them something what would it be <laughs> You know, I guess I would say, get out of get out of your white world a little bit. Put yourself in other communities. Try some new new shit. Really, try some new shit, and you, you know your world just opens up. It's 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 not as it's not as scary. I, I, you know, like there's a lot of people with a lot of love out here. And we all have our issues and our, our shit. We all are in this same system. So, you know, we have different lenses 
Um, but we have to literally get the fuck out of your white world. Go somewhere, do some other shit. Put your make some new friends that are not white. That is that's going to be the the like literally the biggest eye opener. It's just to get into some new culture. You know. Yep. Well said. Well said. A little cultural intelligence never hurts. Oh. And and if you want to befriend somebody, think about what would make that person want to be friends with you. Right. What are you bringing to the table? Right. Because you're not entitled <laughs> to friends. You know, no. people don't have to be your friend. No, I <laughs> sure don't. <laughs> and it's funny, not funny, because. I don't think oftentimes white folks really understand the historical nature of black people having to accommodate white people. Right. And to accommodate us in an emotional way. So public space and interacting in public space is a negotiation of space, right? right. And and bigness, can I take up space? What I'm allowed right. to do? Permission. Right. So as white folks, if we don't start to untangle the historical roots of our unconscious expectations of managing black space. Right. And this is the permeating and right, right, righteous and well felt disgust that I'm experiencing as I listen to Dean share, you know, it's just we have to unpack these historical roots of how black people have been forced to accommodate us on an emotional level to make, to appease our energy. Okay. Not (laughs) what they say, but to appease our energy. So if I take a step onto the platform and a black person's on the platform, their body is going to do something in space with my body in space, whether or not we know it. There's an energy exchange because there's always a power dynamic exchange. There's always an interaction. You order your coffee and then you get your coffee from the person. There's an interaction, right? One has the coffee, one's made the coffee, and one is delivering a service to the person who paid for it, right? All the interactions. And as white folks, we need to look into the historical background of understanding just how much we've controlled that space. And unconsciously expected Black people to adapt to our needs. And if our needs, meaning if we're having a racial conversation and it becomes hard for me and I get emotional, I'm now making this person responsible for my emotional experience. And it's so violent to do this to Black people over and over again because it's it's such historical memory. So once again, listen to this podcast again and hear and feel what he's saying because he's saying it's everywhere. There's not one place I don't have to cushion. And we need you white people to start realizing that, you know, all the marshmallows around you, um, that you're not willing to like start roasting in the fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank yes. you. I, I hear it. And uh, listeners, I hope you hear this too. And really take it in. Get out of your white world. Make some new friends of other cultures, but meet some black people. Learn about black spaces and um, yeah. and notice how you feel in them because you're not entitled to them. 
Tell us about this song. Wow, it's so funny. I uh, I haven't really shared uh, any of this. I, this was written, shit, I don't know, almost almost 20 years ago now. But I self-produced, self-everything. I, I started a project called Porridge back in the day. And I wrote a bunch of songs, but never did anything with them. Uh, but this is one of my favorite from that project. It's called Red. And... It's really about uh, not taking life for granted because um, when it's all said and done, you know, we're, we all, we all go, we all go. So, you know, uh, love, love and, and be present in your, in your moment because sooner or later it's gone. So. All right. This is red. his own music. Uh, do you have a stage name or just Dean Bruinton? Uh, uh, porridge is this project is this the, is the is title porridge. of the project yeah porridge and then the song is called red red all right let's listen up folks yo baby doll she was cool as a fan you know 50 grand second family man back in the day when nobody could really feel me we grew close, got touchy-feely Put all of that aside, she had a look in the eyes She couldn't subside the pain and hides It divided the joy that she felt sometimes It's like her smile cried, rain with sunshine The oldest girl in the house is seven They mama got sick, so they said they blessings When mama was gone, she lost direction Took her life in her own hands and left them Everybody knew the funk one's the baddest He passed the Dutch, he can hit the chalice Rocking on the mic was his birthright Everybody got hype when he flipped and grabbed it See my craft, I had to practice Flip and pass it till I got it mastered He seemed to have this rap shit patent The brand that said, don't think of battling And then the accident happened It was hard to hack the half of it back then But now I'm strapped in, I mean I'm packed in Still catching buzz off sets and his passion So watch what you speak, cause it's all played for keys when it's Say it all of the time Life's too short I better go for mine Such a sublime world For the conscious mind You could come by crime And the concubine Or you could combine With the coldest dime And you would Feel life on the highest high And who would Live life instead of Locked aside And you should Take your plate And not waste a bite It all seems easy To see another's purpose You got so to surplus The surface It takes work To fulfill and merge it Creation's worth The sweat, tears And learning
so hot thank you thank okay you. i love that little riff at the end i was like oh, <laughs> thank look thank at the you. instrumental showing up well, <laughs> folks i wanted to say thank you again dean for showing up and thank you listeners thank you for being here thank you for sharing this and please remember that dismantling whiteness is an everyday all day lifelong endeavor it does not end it's a commitment to think to do and to live better than we've ever been expected to or allowed to before. Dismantling white body supremacy begins inside of you, inside of me, and inside of the collective we, in our personal commitment, in our own bodies of culture, to grow the white experience beyond assumed supremacy. I invite you to listen to learn and to grow beyond the limitations that whiteness has and continues to impose on all of us. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting and body-based cultural intelligence. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your story on the podcast, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone you love. Your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall, under no circumstances, be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast. 